Welcome to the latest Energy Intelligence Podcast. My name is Ian Nathan. I'm Director in the Research and Advisory Group at Energy Intelligence and Head of Global LNG Research. It is my pleasure to welcome you to today's discussion, Qatar, Strategic Approach and Long-Term Risks. I'm joined by Michael Salton, Editor of LNG Intelligence, and Colby Connolly, Middle East Analyst in our Research and Advisory Group. Here we'll be discussing Northfield expansion, partnerships, and other attributes and risks to Qatar's long-term LNG strategy. Uh, there's been a lot of activity uh, over recent weeks and, and months, and, and there's an awful lot to discuss. So let's just get right into what's happening and the important implications. I mean, when you look at it, it's just an awful lot of, uh, of activity here. We can start by talking about uh, an FID on the Northfield expansion phase one. Uh, that in itself would be an entire podcast. But we can also talk about uh, recent news about Qatar Gas One concessions coming to an end, which raises all sorts of interesting questions about uh, partnerships. Um, but ultimately, um, probably a lot of our discussion really needs to be uh, centered around the recent uh, supply agreements. Uh, there have been uh, several of them. Uh, a lot of volumes, and what I believe, and I think what we all believe, um, are really the most important piece of looking at Q, you know, QP and Qatar's um, successful strategy. So let me uh, t turn it over to Mike, and uh, you know, we can start going with uh, with the discussion. Well, I'll just set the table. I think to start with, I mean, this this 32 million tons in Northfield. Cutter's Northfield expansion phase one. It's been in the works for four years, FID on February 8th, and the, and the partners are gonna be chosen in about six months. This, this, uh, this project should be no surprise to anyone. I mean, it's hard to imagine this not being accounted for in the strategic plans of, of competitors, but um, you, you should note that the volume was accounted for in strategic plans, but not necessarily the pricing, which we'll get, in, which we'll get into later. Uh, and, and another aspect to look to note about this is that the, the sooner QP chooses partners, the the sooner that the so-called rejected suitors can move ahead on other strategic options. So it, it, that it's the effects ripple out into the rest of the industry, and uh, and most of the news we've seen, uh, or a lot a lot of the news we've seen about it has to do with QP's carbon control efforts. Uh, you know, an expanding CCS plant, carbon neutral cargo deals, plans to use solar power. They had the first with their first long-term supply deal for carbon neutral LNG. Uh, what's interesting is is uh, QP really has a solid lead in the carbon neutral area because QP uh, is already selling carbon neutral LNG. Yet their U.S. rival Chenier is going to only going to start tagging carbon cargo, tagging carbon in each cargo for by 2022. So they have a good lead. Um, uh, you know, there's a couple ways ways to look at this the the more cynical view of this you know it's this common in many industries where the large players better capitalize lower cost will use the green issue the carbon issue against the small smaller players who are less able to handle it but still it's still it's still the europeans are demanding this uh the world is demanding more greener lng so that it's not all about uh corporate wrestling and you know, before before I hand it over uh, over to Colby, um, I, I just want to point out one thing that you've uh, that you mentioned. You're setting the stage, and and that is, um, uh, you know, the, the the choosing of of IOC partners. 
Um, and um, you know, and one of the one of the points that we've emphasized for for clients in in recent months, and actually even going back much longer than that, uh, is how um, how being chosen for partnership in you know in an expansion uh, could impact other other projects. So uh, you know, I, you know, there's really an interesting question there about how any potential partner might reprioritize its plans if it hasn't already done so. Um, if it should find itself you know, all of a sudden, uh, you know, chosen to be a partner in this in this expansion. Uh, so there are there are much much more important or equally important ripple effects beyond just what the volumes mean in the market when they come on, um, but what this does mean for anybody else who um, or you know any other company that could find itself uh, you know involved in this expansion. So I think that's a that's a, a really important point, um, and maybe one that's underappreciated. As as we all you know focus uh, and rightfully so on uh, on the volumes themselves. But let me turn it over to Colby for a few minutes to to chat about the partnership issue because this has been in the news not just over the last year about uh, about the beauty contest, but about um, you know what's happened recently. So Colby, over to you. Thanks, Ian. Um, you know when it when it comes to the the partnerships that the QP um, selects for for the expansion. It, it almost always seems that, um, that the, the geopolitical element comes into the question, um, and you know how how that's relevant to who who gets selected, and and sort of what the the perspective is from from Doha there. Um, there's there's an argument I've heard that you know QP doesn't really have this need for for partnerships on or at least. Uh, Qatar doesn't on political grounds because of the fact that that uh, Qatar doesn't really politicize its its gas supply, um, and that's true. But you know what I think it is worth pointing out and worth remembering is that these kind of partnerships aren't valuable just for um, Qatar's own policies. In fact, the, the relation may be maybe minimal there. Um, it, it's really sort of what Qatar has has been through with its neighbors over the last uh, nearly four years now. Um, and, and really, it's sort of others' policies towards towards Qatar. So these these relationships that help Qatar sort of expand its its ties with um, larger, more powerful countries that are external to the region, not only the United States, but but for example, France as well, and, and perhaps increasingly looking eastward. Um, th these are these are the most advantageous elements of of these partnerships from the um, from the political perspective. Um, so I, I think that's that's definitely important consideration to um, to make, and it certainly is is a, a value that is uh, is not going to, to go away. Uh, I think either in the near term or the or the short or the uh, excuse me the long term for uh, for Doha. And you know, and and one of the, the you know part of the more recent news is about the ending of of the concessions at uh, Qatar Gas One, uh, which which definitely made news, but. Uh, you know, but we're we're not really seeing that as something that is particularly um, impactful uh, more broadly. Uh, can you speak a little bit to those uh, those issues as well? Absolutely. And I, there are two things that I think about that are that are very important in relation to the um, the uh, Qatar Gas One expiration. Um, and I think that one of the first things is that it has to be placed in the context of. Uh, Doha's current needs and, and certain national priorities, um, you know, not just in Qatar, but across the Gulf, you know, especially after COVID, there's a greater 
uh, emphasis on localization, uh, more more self-reliance, more local investment. Um, and, and then, of course, in most of all in this area, just the, the greater share of revenue for the state. Um, and, and this is arguably about national priorities as, as much as some of these, these commercial issues. Um, the second thing, which, which you know, I think is, is probably more important, um, especially considering a lot of the, the media attention that, that the, um, the expiration received, is that if, if we look at QP's oil portfolio, you know, on the oil side, this is far from unprecedented. Um, the Qatar gas expiration is, is of course, a, a bigger story because of the nature of QP's portfolio being much more heavily weighted towards LNG. Um, and, and I think, you know, the, the speculation relating to, to the Northfield expansion and, and some of the partnership dynamics probably fueled that. Uh, however, you know, as, as QP's oil production sharing agreements expired, the company began, you know, operating on its own without these PSAs. Um, and, and most recently, this happened at, at both the, uh, the Shargi North Dome uh, and, and the smaller South Dome, uh, where, where Occidental had, had previously been involved. Um, Al-Khalij and Al-Shaheen, uh, at this point, are really the, the exceptions to the rule of uh, QP operating its, its oil fields on its own. Um, you know, those, those fields have more expanded drilling efforts and, and enhanced oil recovery as, as priorities, and Total is involved. Um, in both of them, you know, another another of, of QP's large partners. Um, but I, I think, you know, in, in considering these these factors and in, in the overall dynamic, uh, I don't think there are really a lot of signs here about the way partnerships are are going to be um, awarded for the for the expansion in the future. Um, I, I don't, you know, I, I would definitely caution against reading too much into that in this regard. I think that makes uh, it makes total sense, and you know. Uh, you know, we've seen, um, you know, we've seen sort of NOC um, behavior, behavior, I guess is the word, but we've seen, we've seen this sort of approach, uh, uh, you know, uh, elsewhere as well. So, uh, you know, I don't think there are really any, any surprises here. Um, and, uh, and I think, uh, I think what you've said makes, makes a lot of sense. Um, and, you know, so with that, you know, that, that's a good segue into, you know, what I, what I think is, is really, um, you know, a really a key factor here to, to not only understanding, uh, you know, really how successful QP strategy has been, but also gives you an idea um, as to, to what we can what we can expect going forward and, and, and a better view, uh, better visibility on the competitive landscape. And that's the, the recent deal activity. And, and if we look at the several deals totaling roughly around 8 million tons, tons a year, um, you know, what we see here uh, is uh, you know, really elements of, uh, of a very interesting and very successful strategy. And so I'm just going to spend a few minutes just uh, just talking about those a little bit. And uh, um, and then we can uh, we can then get into uh, perhaps some of the some of the pitfalls of the strategy that, that may actually exist. Um, you know, so if we look at uh, if we look at some of this recent deal activity, uh, you know, uh, you know, first, there they are long term deals. Um, you know, you see them being, you know, 10 year durations. Um, and, and I think what's really key here is that um, they're starting, you know, this year or next year, and they do make up for a significant uh, part of the volumes that are expiring by 2025. And so, you know, even though we had highlighted that uh, in the past that, uh, um, you know, that, uh, that marketing both expiring volumes and new capacity was gonna be important, you know what this does is that this uh, 
uh, you know, this is a significant chunk of those expiring volumes. And, uh, um, you know, and that shows, uh, I think, some important progress. Uh, but we also see that, uh, you know, these recent deals are in you know, really key strategic growth markets. You know, they include Bangladesh, Pakistan, and China, which are um, you know, really front and center in our, um, in our, our long-term outlook. And of course, it includes Singapore as well, which is a growth market, but um, you know, but certainly not on um, on the scale uh, of these uh, the, of China and the South Asian countries. Uh, and uh, you know, and of course, this has been part of, uh, particularly in South Asia, has, has been you know part of the QP strategy. You know, it uh, uh, certainly benefits from them being uh, growth markets with a lot of potential, but also being quite proximate. Which um, you know, which is is particularly helpful in the LNG trade, and of course, uh, you know, demonstrated uh, even more recently with some uh, some shipping bottlenecks. Um, so, so that's uh, that's 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 really important. And and with these uh, with these growth markets, you're also not going to see um, uh, you know really as much of uh, uh, of a hang up on uh, delivery flexibility. You know, not really as much of an issue as as these volumes will really, um, you know, be part of, um, of baseload uh, LNG needs. Uh, another thing worth noting is that the, the Chinese deal, that's with Sinopec, uh, was a particularly low slope. You know, again, uh, sort of reinforces what QP is able to do. Um, and it is also worth noting um, that the, uh, the Singapore deal uh, with Pavilion uh, Energy comes with uh, emissions documentation. And Mike mentioned uh, just a few minutes ago, um, you know about uh, you know ab ab about how this strategy and how these pressures are going to become more important. Um, and so, uh, what you have here is several characteristics of these deals, deals which really, uh, which really show uh, you know progress in um, in its strategy. Um, Mike or Colby, anything else to add on the deal activity before we we transition? I have another angle on the. Uh angle on these on these deals what we've, we've noticed is that the uh, qp deals are really designed to basically price future us lng out of the market which is appropriate market behavior um the us lng can't compete well against a deal with like a 10 percent slope to brand so what's interesting it's interesting angle is that there you know there are several hundred million tons of proposed us lng capacity out there so that proposed capacity i guess ironically has a value even without being built, sort of keeps prices capped to some extent. Of course, this is this is hardly consolation for US LNG developers, but it's it's an interesting aspect, and that's what you can look to see as as uh, more deals come through. That parameter will be something they watch. So. Well, you know, it, it's important that you mention that because you know there is a lot of conversation, you know, in the industry about uh, about how how this expansion plan and and how you know how how how, how could Cutter's volumes, just in general, uh, you know, really shape the competitive landscape, and and this is this is part of that. I mean, what you really have here is, you know, um, you know, yes, you, you know, as as a buyer, you have you have choices, and and it might not be you know either one or the other, but what it does is is that it it, it further reinforces how uh, how new capacity arrangements, uh, you know, uh, really need to take competitiveness, uh, you know, quite seriously. And, um, you know, and, and, and that is, uh, you know, I think one of the underappreciated messages here. So while it might not be exactly, it might not be the right thing to say that, uh, um, you know, that, that, that ventures are going to fall by the wayside because of this expansion, it is, I think, appropriate to say that, 
you know what you have here is you have a significant uh, significant volumes that um, that are are setting the competitive landscape or at least helping in large part um, you know and, and that that's something that uh, we should really appreciate uh, but what that also does is that uh, uh, you know that leads us to also raise some some questions about the strategy, which uh, which does have implications uh, throughout the industry. Uh, are there any other? Is there anything else to say about the deals that we've seen concluded to date, uh, or I should say recently? Is there anything else to to really cover on that before we get into the next part of the conversation? Yeah, I think uh, I, I think that's uh, you know it's 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 important to to recognize. Uh, you know the the competitive advantages that that that, that QP uh, you know does manage to sport in the industry. Um, you know, but I, I think that that this analysis would be really incomplete without uh, pointing out that um, it's uh, it's not it's not free from potential pitfalls, and uh, it's certainly worth uh, illuminating. And we're going to do that here in this part of the uh, the discussion. So, Mike, back over to you. On on the um, on the carbon and the the Europe uh, strategy and 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 those related factors. Yeah, I mean Q, QP has, still has the advantages that it always had. I mean the low cost European terminal import terminal capacity and its its geography. Of course, it's still there. But like the new advantages uh, is is the low carbon program, uh, which which uh, we talked about earlier. Um, as far as the, uh, there's a number of disadvantages, in addition to defending its existing capacity by, uh, you know, selling the new capacity and, and also doing contracts for expiring capacity. Um, they fa face the challenge. You sort of went at this earlier, but it's there's narrowing returns caused in part by the U.S. competition I was talking about that they're going to make partnerships with Qatar less attractive than they used to be. It's certainly a new era. I mean, you can see from the the new contracts, all at least three of them are ten years. It's a whole different. Uh, it's a different era in Qatar, even if it's uh, you know with the expansion, all the new deals are shorter duration, lower slopes, etc. And and one other disadvantage, which we may get into further, is that, um, and this comes from a long time long time ago. I was we were talking about. Uh, Iranian LNG exports went back when that was a whisper of a possibility. And one of the disadvantages of that was that you can't have, there's no geographic diversification between Iranian LNG and Qatari LNG. And that was a, that was one of many problems for Iran, but that's the same problem that Qatar has. How much can you really have from one area uh, through through two key choke points in the uh, in the uh, uh, international shipping, so that's all those things are, are. We can see them playing out in the contracts already, and I think we'll see them that playing out in contracts going forward. And that that reminds me of something that it might be a little bit in the weeds here, but uh, something that I was thinking about um, that goes both to the geography, uh, the Europe strategy, um, and uh, and also includes. Uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's carbon capture program, and 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 really the low the low carbon and transition aspects of the strategy, and that that goes to this. Um, and one of the things that we've been pointing out for quite some time is that, uh, you know, between building of uh, positions, downstream positions, terminal positions in Europe, and um, really uh, amping up its ability to deliver, uh, you know, low carbon or carbon neutral LNG. Um, you know, is ideal for for, for penetration. Um, you know, in in Europe over the long term, 
particularly as there's growing hostility to gas. You know, but, you know, if you recall going back several years, you know, the, the idea of, of Golden Pass, for example, in the U.S. Gulf Coast was, uh, you know, to uh, be able to deliver cargoes uh, into the Americas and through the Atlantic Basin and in, into Europe as well. But one of the things that we've been seeing recently is, um, you know, as this hostility to, to, to gas and then hostility to American gas in particular, you know, seems to be something that's not going away. Uh, you know, we have to wonder about, um, you know, about how these, uh, you know, about how this strategy plays out because uh, with Golden Pass being able to serve the Atlantic Basin, you know, this is about uh, volumes from Ras uh really targeting Asia. And, um, you know, so that's something to think about and, um, and something just worth, worth mentioning as we look at, at, at the strategy going, going forward. I would add one thing. One thing in there is that is that uh, you know you you read constantly where the Europeans say, well, this company needs to do more as far as carbon reduction, and this company needs to do more for carbon reduction. They will you will never hear from some part of the green community. You will never hear them say, well, this company has done enough, or maybe you could do a little less. It will always be more, always be more. So it's a, it's a it's a game that'll be interesting to see how it plays out. But but um, you know, it's something to think about. And, and let's let's open it up to some of these some of these other uh, potential pitfalls, uh, you know, to the strategy. Um, you know, one thing you know you mentioned, and we're talking about the uh, carbon capture and low carbon strategy, and uh, you know, and, and emissions documentation, and 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 everything that goes with the, the greening of LNG. Um, uh, you know, but you know, we we still expect there to be you know growing pressure uh, both on the operational side and on the the end user. Uh, emission side as well, um, you know, but it looks like at least with with the carbon capture strategy, which uh, probably correct me if I'm wrong, and uh, looking to aim up to nine million tons um, r right now uh, of of, uh, of capacity, right? That, that's correct by by 2027. And 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 that's uh, you know so that's definitely um, that's definitely a step, but we do expect that this pressure is is going to be uh, increasing, not of course decreasing. Um, one thing that that has been, um, you know, part of our, uh, you know, part of our concern with the strategy for quite a, for really quite a while is, is buyers growing needs for uh, delivery flexibility, and that's something where, um, you know, where we have yet to see, I think, um, you know, uh, much progress. Now, on the one hand, if you're uh, if you're selling to a lot of growth markets who, which which don't need to have delivery flexibility. You know that could make up for theoretically uh, those uh, you know who who really do um, you know, but it is still uh, it is still an, an issue, and uh, you know and perhaps the you know, uh, the marketing will be targeted to those who, who don't need it, and perhaps it's good enough to be to have competitive volumes. It's good enough uh, to have them uh, your, your deals in maybe small enough uh, chunks so that they don't need to be uh, flexible. Uh, but it's still something that we need to continue to watch. Uh, I think um, a third potential pitfall is competing volumes. And, you know, we, we spent a lot of time, uh, you know, uh, looking at, at, at Qatar and QP and, 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 and understanding the, the competitive proposition of, of those volumes. I don't think that's in question. But when we look at the deals that have been signed lately, there's been about 40% of, of, of these supply agreements that have been signed over the last two quarters or so. 
which means that there have been about 60% of the deals signed by other sellers, and you know, including Chenier and Woodside and Chevron, Total Novatech, Santos, um, have all signed their own deals. And it's just a reminder of that, you know, that we still, uh, you know, we still have uh, a, a lot of other sellers in the mix that offer uh, offer value to the buyers. The buyers are, are signing up with them for, um, you know, for some reason, and that can include, um, you know, particularly with portfolio uh, portfolio uh, buyers that could include that flexibility issue. For example, so uh, it's it's worth keeping that in mind, and that that really links us to, uh, you know, to this next piece, which really has to do with, uh, you know, buyers' need for supply diversity. So you know, we can see where the market opportunities are for for QP, but we also have to ask: is is there going to be a point at which, uh, uh, you know, even meeting the needs of growth markets, they might become too dominant a player in that particular market. And, and will there be backlash? And, um, you know, and if I'm, you know, and, and if I'm on the QP side uh, coming up with strategy, you know, I, I would certainly not ignore, uh, you know, that possibility. And, um, you know, and, and, and we know that, that matters like diverse supply and energy security are, you know, have not gone away um, and, and that they are still, you know, really, can be quite an issue. And even though growth markets might not think that that's an issue now and that there might be enough demand for, 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 for multiple suppliers to meet, we need to keep that in mind. So, um, so we've just highlighted a few um, uh, potential pitfalls, but uh, you know, again, I want to go back to you guys to, to see um, if there's anything else to add on that or, there, or is there anything else that's worth discussing in terms of, uh, in terms of, uh, you know, uh, potential challenges to uh, you know to the strategy. Well, actually, Ian, if, if you don't mind, I I, I kind of wanted to to ask you a question about this because um, you, you know you mentioned the the flexibility issue and and this seems like it's really a, a major holdout for the for QP. Um, and I you know from from the perspective of sort of the the, the more you know the more competitive landscape perspective, um, what what do you suppose it is that that Kind of entrenches them in this position. Is it is it really just that um, you think they're counting on more competitive volumes being being enough? Well, you know, at, at the end of the day, I think you know th this comes back to um, uh, you know ultimately uh, just not wanting to uh, you know to to have uh, you know too much uh, too too much competition with within its own volumes, and um, you know, but one of the things that that we've been looking at for quite some time is the fact that. Um, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, you know uh, there, there have been some reforms among dominant uh, players in the past. We, we always look to the, the Gazprom example um, in, in Europe, uh, where, uh, you know, where evolving market conditions and, uh, and certainly the competitive landscape have, 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 pushed, um, have pushed the dominant player to, to make reforms. Uh, and, uh, um, you know, and I expect that at, at, at some point. Uh, you know, you could see this uh, this happening similarly. Now, there's not there's not a big regulator uh, like in Europe to uh, you know to to provide that sort of pressure. Um, you know, but at the same time, uh, you know, it is worth looking at uh, you know at the fact that uh, um, you know that they're, 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 as the as the LNG market becomes uh, larger and more liquid, um, you know, that pressure is going to be brought to bear. And um, and and um, and again. You know, if buyers are are happy enough 
you know, with the, the, the price they're getting and the reliability and perhaps other, other factors, um, then, then maybe it's okay to, uh, you know, to postpone uh, some, other, uh, some other reforms perhaps to, uh, you know, as late as possible. So um, it, it's worth it's worth watching. Certainly, this uh, this 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 issue. Um, you know, there are certainly um, you know, uh, many sides to to the argument, um, but it's it's definitely worth worth watching um, as the market becomes more liquid. Oh, we're going to see another hundred million, uh, one hundred forty million tons. You know, between you know between now and twenty twenty seven or so. Um, you know, so we'll we'll see how this uh, how this ultimately plays out. And with that, uh, we're running out of time. So I would like to thank you for, for listening and, uh, and hope you'll join us again for the next Energy Intelligence Podcast. Thanks and goodbye. Thanks for listening to the Energy Intelligence Podcast. Please check back with us soon for our latest content, which you can find at energyintel.com.